0: Well, good morning, church family, and if this is your first Sunday here at Windsor Road, uh, my name is Randy Boltinghouse. I'm privileged to be the lead minister here at the church, and I wasn't able to be with you uh, this past weekend. Sarah, my wife, and I uh, were proud uh, to be a part of our younger son, Brandon's graduation from Olivet Nazarene University, and so we've got a picture there of our proud graduate, and we were uh, so glad to, to be a part of his commencement uh, ceremony, and then we've got one more um, humble shot of, uh... <laughs> <laughs> he, he really has a low self-esteem church, and so anyway, got that from his dad, no doubt, but uh, uh, Brandon is majored in social work and is doing an internship uh, right now and has applied for graduate school in the fall uh, toward a master of social work degree, and um, he really feels the Lord's calling to um, Be equipped to influence those for the good, um, especially who are struggling with substance abuse. And so so he's in a season of equipping for the purpose of influencing. Um, And all over America this weekend and this month, you know, crowds are gathering for commencement ceremonies and students will receive diplomas and degrees, and all of which acknowledge an accreditation of equipping. Students have been equipped for the purpose of influence in their various vocation. Now, how many educators do we have here this morning? Raise your hand. Now now you know, you know, as do the rest of us um, that the commencement event is not the end of something, but really it's the beginning, the commencement of a new season. Here are students who have been equipped for the purpose of influence, now it's not the last thing, but it's a launch towards some future thing. And this morning, I would like for us to consider in our scripture reading, the commencement event that we read Because Acts chapter 2 is really a commencement event. The day of Pentecost. Take your Bibles uh, and turn to Acts chapter 2 in the New Testament. The book of Acts is the fifth book. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Acts, you'll find that on page 909 of your church Bibles. And today in the church calendar... Is Pentecost Sunday. There are various important holidays in the church calendar. Advent is a season that culminates in Christmas. Lent is a season that culminates in Easter. And the next major holiday in the Christian calendar has to do with Pentecost. So today is Pentecost Sunday. And on the day of Pentecost, As we read in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit of Christ came upon the disciples of Christ to equip them so that those disciples could go out, could be sent out, sent out to share the Word of God, sent out to share the love of God all over the world. Pentecost has a big idea. And we'll see this big idea unfold in Acts chapter 2. And the big idea is this Pentecost is about Christ's presence with his people and Christ's power through his people. Christ's presence with his people, Christ's power through his people. Pentecost declares that my life has meaning. My life has a trajectory my life has a direction now I know that as we're trying to discover our unique gifts and talents especially as it pertains toward a vocational path that can be a process And yet, Pentecost says that the overarching arc of my life and the narrative of my life and the future of my life, that's really already been set because Christ is with me in His Holy Spirit. Christ's strength and power flows through me in and with His Holy Spirit. So, there's never really after Pentecost any type of, well, I don't know what I'm supposed to do with my life. No, after Pentecost, life is a matter of sharing the love of Christ, telling the truth of Christ, and shining the light of Christ. Christ's presence with His people, Christ's power through His people. That's the message here in Acts chapter 2. Now what I want to do this morning is just answer two questions from our verses that our sisters read in Tagalog and Spanish. I want to answer the question, what happened? What happened? What went on? And then I want to focus on the question that actually comes from the text itself in verse 12. It's a second question. You see it there? What does this mean? What does this mean? What happened and what does this mean? Here's why this matters. Look up here for just a minute. Um, I don't know about you, but, you know, I've often daydreamed, what would it be like to just have Jesus physically with me all the time? Wouldn't that be something, to be like the disciples, to just, to just you know, do life with Christ and have Him come with me? And we can have coffee in the morning, and He can you know, accompany me to the office, and it, have appointments with people, he can sit in on those appointments, and and uh, if I, you know, get stumped on something, or or if I, you know, find myself in a difficult conversation, he's there with me, and, you know, if I'm about to say the wrong thing, you know, he's, flicks me on the ear and if I'm about, you know, or he encourages or just, you know, or here's how you did, Randy, in that way. and just would think, wow, my life, I know, would be so much richer and better and my faith would be fuller if physically Jesus could just kind of just be with me all the time, all right? I daydreamed that, Uh, you know? My sermons would be better and I'd be a better husband and life would just all be better. listen, Pentecost says that I don't have to daydream. It's not a daydream. You see, I have those daydreams, and then then I read in John's Gospel, John 14, 12, the words of Christ Himself, "'Truly, truly, I say to you, "'whoever believes in Me "'will also do the works that I do, "'and greater works than these will He do, "'because I'm going to the Father.'" Now, who's Jesus talking to? Look look back there. Look at the word. It's the word whoever. Whoever. That includes us. And then I go to John 14, verse 18. Jesus himself said, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. So when Jesus said, at the conclusion of Matthew's gospel, I will be with you always to the end of the age. So he's promising his presence. And then we read in John sixteen seven, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. You think it's better if I'm beside you? No, no, it's your, it's your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And the Helper is the promised Holy Spirit of Christ. And Pentecost is the fulfillment of that promise. And it's a promise that has yielded fruit that we enjoy even to this day. That is why one author and pastor J.D. Greer says, Pentecost is why the spirit inside of me is by far better than the Jesus beside me. And these verses are the commencement of that. So that's why this matters. All of your daydreams about Jesus wanting to be physically beside you, listen. Jesus says, you, you think that would be the best thing. I've got a better thing. I've got a... Jesus has a better thing than your best thing. And his better thing is not a thing. It's a someone. It's his own Holy Spirit inside of you. So, so Christ's presence with us, Christ's power through us. Let's talk about what happened on Pentecost And then what it means. First, what happened? That's chapter 2, verse 1. It says, when the day of Pentecost arrived. Now, let's just stop there because, well, what do we mean by Pentecost? What is Pentecost? What does Pentecost mean? Pentecost uh, is a word that literally means 50. 50 what? 50 days. Seven weeks after Israel's most important holiday, which is the Passover, Passover. God's people were instructed in Exodus 23, 16 to celebrate the Feast of Weeks or the Feast of Harvest. So, seven days times seven weeks, that's 49, that very next day, is 50, Pentecost. And the purpose of the Feast of Weeks was to bring to God the first fruits of the harvest And they brought that as an offering to the Lord, trusting that more was on the way. Pentecost says, God, I'm trusting you to generously provide later. I'm going to offer this first fruit because I believe that with you, there's always more to come. Okay? Then, by Jesus' day, Pentecost commemorated the giving of the law to Moses on Sinai to Israel, who'd been liberated from Egyptian bondage. Exodus 20 says that Sinai, Mount Sinai was a, a, a smoking spectacle of thunder and fire and lightning. And there God himself met his people on the mountain. He introduced himself to them. So now that I have rescued you from a past you could not get out of on your own, now that I have liberated you, let me tell you about myself. Let me introduce myself to you. And let me give you that which will equip you for the life that I have called you. So God rescues his people, and then he tells his people about this new way of life, equipping them toward that end. And notice the order. God doesn't say, now if you happen to meet the measure of the life I expect for you, then maybe I'll call you my people. That's not grace. That's not what happened. What happened is I rescued you, and now here's how rescued people live. That's Grace. So Pentecost was an agricultural holy day. There's always more to come. And then it's also a historical remembrance of what God done had done in a mighty way in the past to rescue his people and then to provide, equip them for a way of life that he has called them to. That's that's the day of Pentecost. Verse 1. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. Who's all? Well, that's the 120 believers that we read about in Acts chapter 1. Jesus, uh, who had died and was crucified and buried and then, by God's power, raised from the dead. And then multiple sightings of people in groups of 2 and 3 and 10 and 500 at one time. Testified to having experienced the risen Lord. And Jesus promised them over 40 days. He, at the conclusion of that 40 days, he said, I want you to stay in Jerusalem and I will send the Holy Spirit upon you. Luke chapter 24, verse 49. Behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. So there the disciples remained in the city waiting. Waiting patiently. Waiting expectantly. Waiting. Oh, Americans hate to wait. Don't we? But that was what they were called to do. Don't do anything, Jesus said. Till you are clothed with power from on high. And they waited. And Luke's gospel ends. While he blessed them. Luke 24, 51. He parted from them and was carried up into heaven. That's his ascension and coronation. From the earthly dimension to the heavenly dimension. In his body. You know that. Jesus is in the glorified body. And that body just happens to be uh, you know, comfortable in both dimensions. And he was taken up into heaven. And it says in the last verses in Luke 24, And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. And, and Acts 1 tells us that they... Uh, Replaced Judas Iscariot with Matthias. And he was numbered among the 11. And, and they're waiting. They're waiting. Now, this is significant. Because it wasn't as if the 120 were sad and depressed and down and gloomy and confused. And they didn't know what to do. And then, then the Holy Spirit came and they kind of got to pick-me-up. A jolt. Kind of a shot of caffeine. Sometimes I kind of get that's the idea. Well, that's the purpose of the Holy Spirit. You know, to kind of give me what you know a, a little more than what my morning coffee can get me. No, 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 no. First of all, they weren't sad or gloomy, were they? Luke tells us that as he concludes his gospel. And remember, Luke also wrote Acts, so Luke and Acts kind of go together. Well, why is the gospel of John between them? I don't know. They didn't ask me to do that. I'm just telling you. But they were waiting. And, and, and the message of Acts 2 is Christ's spirit empowering Christ's people toward Christ's work. So while they're gathering together and while they're waiting and while they're full of great joy and while they're praying and while they're worshiping and while they're in, enjoying community, while hope dominated their hearts, something suddenly unexpected occurred. The sound of a fierce and fearful wind overtook and invaded their presence. And this spectacular and unmistakable display of God flooded the lives of these 120 believers, men and women. And suddenly there came from heaven, verse 2, a sound. Notice it says it was a sound. Wasn't it? The wind, it was the sound of a mighty rushing wind and it filled the entire house where they were sitting and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now time does not permit me uh, to have a full discussion with you about the nature of New Testament tongue speaking. But what I do have time to say here and now is that in these verses, the word tongue has to do with language, language. And we see that in verse 6. Look at verse 6. Each was hearing uh, them speak in his own language. And look at verse 8. Native language. In verses 9 through 11, no less than 15. Uh, Language groups, people groups, cultures were listed there. And the miracle was that these believers were speaking flawlessly fluent language that they had not learned. That was the miracle. And they're from Galilee. Which, uh, which signifies uh, you know, a less than sophisticated, educated comment. They're from Galilee. Onlookers saw this company of bold and fearless Christ followers. And later on in the book of Acts, they would be uh, labeled as um, uh, um, uneducated commoners. And yet they're, they're, they're speaking fluently brilliantly, languages from all over the known world. I mean, the onlookers were just bewildered by this. How is this happening, these Galileans? And they're doing this. What's, don't, we don't get it, you know? It would be kind of like uh, hearing the cast of Duck Dynasty suddenly breaking out into flawless French and Mandarin. Okay, Yeah, you get it. These onlookers were bewildered. And, and because they were proclaiming Literally, verse 11, the mega works of God. The mega works of God. And what else could that be other than God's plan, God's initiative, God's uh, sending of His Son, God in the flesh, to teach and to do miraculous signs and then to die as a victim Of injustice, death by crucifixion, and then to be buried, and the third day, as he promised, bodily raised from the dead. For us, for our sins and treason against heaven. Think about this. Just as Moses first met God in the burning bush. And just as Moses descended from the fiery and stormy Sinai with the law etched in stone to equip Israel for life in the land of promise, here on Pentecost, Jesus from on high sends his Holy Spirit with the law of Christ, which is the law of love. That's all the law of Christ is is loving God and loving people to be etched upon the hearts of His people. And as a result, as a result, every believer became a burning bush. That's what happened. Well now the next question, (laughs) what does it mean? What does all of this mean? Well, some of them, some cynics in the crowd back then already had an answer to that question. Did you read their snotty answer? Huh? We know what it means. (laughs) That's what it means. They're drunk. That's what it means. They're wasted. They're blasted. They're inebriated. That's exactly what it means. They're filled with new wine. What's that? It's just cheap wine. That's it. And Peter says, Are you crazy? It's nine in the morning. Really? Really? And then he begins to unpack that question. What does it mean? So let's do that ourselves here. What is the meaning and significance of this amazing event at Pentecost. There's three meaningful truths that I want to highlight here um, in this passage. And the first truth is this. It's that the Holy Spirit's mighty and equipping presence and power means that Christ is for all. The gospel is for all. So on Pentecost, the miracle of speaking unlearned languages was for gospel proclamation to the nations because God wants all to be saved. Think about this for a minute. The first time that the gospel message was preached, the mega works of God, it was preached in all languages at the same time meaning God accepts all cultures into his kingdom. So the gospel's just not a Hebrew thing. The gospel is an every tribe on earth thing. So in Christ there's no chosen people, no privileged race or class. There's no one community whose fortunes are more important than those of another. All persons and all people are involved in the working out of God's purpose. God does not absolutize any culture because God is not guilty of divine partisanship the gospel is for all now respectfully and courteously let me just say this islam does not share this perspective islam teaches that their sacred text the quran is inspired of allah only in arabic so, Muslims do not believe that the Quran can be truly translated out of Arabic. So, if you want the actual words of Allah, you must learn Arabic. Well, because language and culture, language is culture, the result of that perspective is that Islam Arabizes whatever people embrace it. This is a distinctive between Islam and Christianity. Uh, For Christianity, the Bible is the inspired word of God, whether it's in Hebrew or Greek or Spanish or Tagalog or English or French, Mandarin or American Sign Language. And why? Acts chapter 10, 34 and 35. Peter says, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation Anyone who fears Him and does what is right is acceptable to Him. So you see, the Holy Spirit's presence means that all cultures, all races, all nations, God is multi. And churches that appreciate the unifying work of the Holy Spirit, those are the most diverse churches on earth today and they recognize that God is bringing unlike people together and those spirit-filled believers welcome this and they're not threatened by this and i've experienced spirit-empowered love with my brothers and sisters in christ you know from nepal from ukraine from the dominican republic from haiti i've not been to peru yet but you have And there really is an experience of the Spirit's connection, heart connection to my brothers and sisters who who are on the other side of the globe and yet when we meet one another. For instance, in Nepal, it's very common to greet one Nepali to another Nepali um, or to greet individuals in Nepal with the phrase namaste. Namaste, uh, which is... Roughly translated, you know, the, the spirit that's in me greets the spirit that's in you. And Nepali Christians, um, they've changed that to the phrase, Jemisei, Jemisei. The Jesus in me greets the Jesus in you. See, the, that, that's the Holy Spirit at work for all, for all. I'm thinking of uh, uh, Dr. Joe Thomas at Urbana Seminary and his uh, wonderful uh, book, Perfect Harmony, when he tells about the type of harmony that existed at the turn of the 20th century uh, in the Jim Crow era where congregations uh, that allowed the unifying work of the Holy Spirit to dominate their life and their gathering. Um, a woman by the name of Laura Goings put it this way. She said, there's like five different races, and languages, and cultures, and yet they live in perfect harmony. Without effort. Because God has brought this together. See, that's the Holy Spirit. The Jesus in me. Greets the Jesus in you. Well truth number two is this. Um, truth number two. Discusses how the Holy Spirit's presence and power. Mean that in Christ I'm filled with a holy boldness, the boldness of Christ. Now, where was this taking place here in Acts chapter 2? Well, look at verse 2. Filled the entire house where they were sitting. So, you see, they weren't in the temple. They were in some home. They're in Jerusalem. And what started in the house kind of spilled out into the street. and Because, you see, the nature of the temple is changing in the salvation history plan of God. Now the meeting place with God is Jesus, whose spirit indwells his people, who become a royal priesthood, a holy nation of living stones. And that filled them with a boldness to share his word. One commentator put it this way At one time, these disciples were behind locked doors out of fear for their lives. On Pentecost, they were changed and they unlocked their door. And they went down to the most public place they could find and preached Jesus. Cringing cowards became fearless preachers. And this was permanent. You read on in the book of Acts, and God's people were far from perfect. They, they made all sorts of mistakes like we do. But never again did they hide their fear of persecution. The Spirit changed that. From now on, they were fearless, Spirit filled proclaimers of the gospel. But you understand, and you may be thinking, well, I wish I were like that. If you have received the Word of God, you have the Spirit of Christ. The Spirit's not just for them then. The Spirit, He is for us here now. For the Spirit floods our lives when we hear and believe the gospel. That's what Paul says in Galatians 3, 2. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Jesus said to His disciples in Acts 1, 8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Think about this. If you are a Christian, the Holy Spirit has come upon you to empower you with that mission. And that doesn't mean that you know, introverts suddenly become extroverts. Or extroverts become really extroverted. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about how the Holy Spirit fills us and dominates us and impacts our lives for the purpose of witness. Acts 1.8, Jesus' words of that promise, they're for us. And you might still say, well, why can't I have an, why can't I have that kind of experience in, in Acts chapter 2? I want, I want that kind of experience like they had that. You know what? That's up to the Holy Spirit. That's not my department. And the Holy Spirit won't be micromanaged. You see, the sole test of the Spirit's presence is not the ability to speak in tongues. Rather, the test of the Spirit's presence is that having received the Word and trusted Christ by faith, and now the Holy Spirit comes flowing into my life to produce His fruit. And what is that fruit? It is a harvest Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And when those fruits are flowing, how can you tell an apple tree is an apple tree? Are there apples? That's how. And when you see those qualities of the Spirit in someone's life, you can conclude that that person is led and dominated by the Spirit. Introvert, extrovert, doesn't matter. The Holy Spirit's presence empowers me with a boldness so that wherever God puts me, wherever God puts me, it changes my perspective and helps me think because now I represent him wherever. And I want to tell you about someone um, from our church who is with Jesus right now. Um, So, uh, on Friday, uh, we had Jerry Heiser's celebration of life service here. Tammy and uh, Josh and Alyssa are here in our service this morning. um, There was an open mic sharing time. And I got to tell you, my soul was nourished as I heard. Just witness after witness give testimony to Jerry's spirit-filled life, and um, in his vocation, and his profession as an architect, he wasn't just an architect. He was a pastor there in the office. And when um, uh, coworkers found themselves struggling with their future, and Jerry was there um, with a word of encouragement, a word of kindness, a prayer, and peace was in the place wherever Jerry was. And that's because the Holy Spirit of God was in Jerry. Now, now you can do that where God has put you. Well, you can let him do that through you so that you might be a blessing to people in your life. Truth number one, the Holy Spirit's presence and power means that the gospel is for all. Truth number two, there is a holy boldness that the Spirit equips me with so that I might share the presence of Jesus wherever. And then, truth number three, is that the Spirit's presence and power equips us to keep the message focused on on Christ, on Christ. The gospel that is for all, the gospel uh, that uh, gives us boldness is a gospel that is focused on Christ, on Christ. Um, I don't know how many of you have ever seen the Washington Monument late at night, but it's a beautiful sight and... um, You're able to see it at night because hundreds of thousands of dollars uh, have been spent to illuminate this ivory needle. And when you see this site, I'll bet no one is thinking of the lights. You're just thinking of the monument. And so it is with the Holy Spirit in Christ. You see, when someone claims to be filled with the Spirit and yet spends most of the time talking about their own experiences with the Spirit, you have reason to doubt whether that person is really filled with the Spirit. Because when the Holy Spirit speaks through someone, you tend to forget about the person speaking. In fact, you don't even find yourself thinking about the Holy Spirit. But you find yourself thinking a lot about Jesus. Jesus. And that's by design. Peter says in Acts chapter 2 we're not drunk. It's nine in the morning. What's happening here is the fulfillment of God's promise through the prophet Joel. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited with signs and wonders. He was the long awaited Messiah of God. He was sent to rescue us from a power greater than Rome's arsenal, he was sent to seek and save the lost those of us lost in sin, lost in rebellion, lost in separation from God and one another, he came and proclaimed peace. And you put him on a cross, Peter said. God sent him, and you crucified him, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this, Peter says. So rest assured, God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. And these people were cut to the heart, the Bible says in Acts 2, 37. They said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So you respond by faith, Trust Christ and let that faith be something both internal and external. Internal. Repentance. Change your heart. Change your mind. Change your attitude. From a self sufficient, proud, I can do it all by myself, to a dependent, humble, God, I can't, but you can faith. That's what we mean by repentance. And then the external designation, demonstration of that is in baptism. Showing what God has done. Baptism showcases not my work, not my effort, not my muscle. Baptism stresses God's strength in raising my dead soul back to life. And that day, 3,000 people entered the kingdom of God. That day, 3,000 people repented. 3,000 people were given the Holy Spirit. It's Pentecost. 3,000 people sloshing around in the water. It's Pentecost, meaning first fruits. There's more to come. And like Moses of old, God rescues us and then gives us his spirit to teach us a new way of life. Pentecost. Jesus' presence with us, Jesus' power in and through us. You know, more than one scholar has noted that Pentecost is actually a reversal of Babel. In Genesis chapter 11, the Tower of Babel, people selfishly sought to build a tower to the heavens to make their name great. And God said, uh-uh, and confused them by causing them to speak different languages. At Babel, earth arrogantly tried to ascend to heaven. At Pentecost, heaven humbly and powerfully descends to earth. At Babel, God created different tribes with different languages and different cultures. At Pentecost, God created a multinational, multi-ethnic, multicultural people To share that same gospel. At Babel, people tried to merge into one place for their own fame. At Pentecost, we are strategically scattered throughout the earth for God's fame. Pentecost means there's more to come. Church family, we are the more to come. (laughs) Empowered by the Spirit to boldly say with the apostles... Acts 5, 29, we must obey God rather than men. And it is by the Spirit we do this. It's by the Spirit that we worship and serve and study. It's by the Spirit that our deacon team served with such Christ-saturated hospitality, the Heiser family, Friday afternoon. It's by the Spirit that we take missions trips and we gather supplies for those trips, which Brian Rummery, our adult, ministries pastor will talk to you about a little later on in those little cards that you have. It's by the Spirit that we feed the hungry. It's by the Spirit that we're able to give $11,050 to Greg and Jill Hunt to help Jill battle her cancer. It's by the Spirit that we teach gospel truth. It's by the Spirit that we thank God for the life change He is producing here. And beyond. It's by the Spirit. Pentecost. Christ's presence with us, Christ's power through us. Now, then, just before I pray, there's a little chorus that I used to sing at East Tulsa Christian Church. It's that chorus of that hymn Turn Your Eyes on Jesus, Look Full in His Wonderful Face. And the things of earth will grow, what? Strangely dim. Yeah, you've sung it too. In the light of his glory and grace. The things of earth will grow strangely dim. And you know, you know what the hymn writer is saying. You know, when we keep our eyes on Jesus, this passing earth, you know, just keep a priority on Jesus no matter what. And, and I, I need that message. But let me put a spin on it, okay? Here it is. When the Holy Spirit indwells and dominates your life, the things of earth do not grow strangely dim. They get clearer. And you begin to see this world as it was meant to be seen because you're seeing it through God's eyes. And you go to work tomorrow and you're seeing that that extra grace required employee. And your Holy Spirit is equipping you and empowering you. And things get clearer. Your life gets clearer. You get clearer. You know who Jesus is. You know who you are. And you know the mission that he has sent you on. That mission of influencing others for the gospel. And listen, you know, you know that your path will most likely be the path of Christ. Because What was Christ's path to victory? Misunderstanding, violence, death, and then unexpected, spectacular resurrection that only God could pull off. That's your path and mine. How can I do that? You won't be alone. The Spirit will be with you. And his power will go through you. Amen.